Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now this is the drive at 5 30 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli well, Donald Trump is fine for being in contempt of court, which is a joke, of course. And um, more and more parents are waking up to the fact that the school board elections in their community are the absolute most important elections. Uh, Nikki Haley says to the Biden administration, don't fall for what Iran has to say as she continues to bang the drums of war. And Joe Biden says last night, we have to tie Israel funding. To Ukraine. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. I will be filling in for Mark Levin tonight at 6 p.m. So you will be able to stick with me all the way up till nine o'clock tonight. This hostage release that's happening is complicating the ground invasion that Israel wants to do. Biden said last night he was going to make sure that he gets uh, everybody home safely. There are still a lot of Americans who are being held in, in behind enemy lines here um, by Hamas. And that's an important point that you need to understand that the American media, of course, in this country is pretending like it doesn't happen. But it's absolutely happening. And we have to address that fact, because if we don't, we're going to be in a situation right now where we could have Americans killed as this situation escalates and they're right in the epicenter of this. But as we always do every week, we turn to our buddy, Dr. Wilfred Riley, for the latest in all things woke. And I got to tell you, he's got a fantastic piece that I would love for everybody to read. He is the professor of political science at Kentucky State University and the author of Lies My Liberal Teacher Told Me, which is available for pre-order at Amazon.com. Professor Riley, happy Friday, my friend. How are you? Uh, doing pretty well. I just got off a podcast about Israel, actually. Uh, good and to be on the show. what did you say? Um, in general, that I'm pro-Israel. It was uh, it was a mi- it was a mixed group of people. We brought some folks on. Cut the bull. The podcast I do with Charles Love, and I mean, two of them were uh, speaking in defense of Israel. There was one person who had a bit more uh, pro-Palestinian perspective. So we were all uh, arguing foreign affairs, basically. Gotcha. And uh, what do you think uh, needs to happen here in terms of 
you know, the president last night comes out and he says we should we should tie aid to Israel to Ukraine, which I think is very, very duplicitous of him. These are two separate conflicts. There should be two up or down votes on this. And I think it made a lot of people angry today that he spent so much time equating the two. Yeah, I mean, so this actually gets into something I've thought for years as a political scientist, which is that Congress needs to go back to kind of one page bills that fund a specific thing. So, as I'm sure you know, what they do right now is pass these giant omnibuses to cut down the the amount of time they have to spend arguing with each other instead of going out and begging for money. So you'll have the omnibus defense bill funding two years going forward that includes everything for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coasties, so on. And it'll then be packed with what are called earmarks or back ends, which are just totally unrelated things changing the names of post offices, giving millions of dollars to individual projects, that kind of thing. And this is an example of that. I mean, what they're going to pass is something that's going to be called, say, the Foreign Aid Omnibus. It's going to contain, I believe, $60 million for billion, of course, with a B, for Ukraine, uh, $14 billion for Israel, $10 billion for Gaza, by the way. They're sneaking that in as humanitarian aid. Seven billion for Taiwan. So yeah, I, I don't think those things should be together. I mean, I feel radically different about Israel than I do about Ukraine. I think most people on kind of that center right do by this point. But that's that's just kind of how they do. I mean, at this point, it, it's always just one big bill, three hundred pages long. No one reads it. And I think it's part of the reason why Jim Jordan is not going to become speaker, because he's made it clear he wants up or down votes on these things and he wants to separate them out. And the the, the, the people that run Washington, call them the Uniparty, whatever you want to call them, the swamp, whoever, they like to put these things in omnibus bills because it gives them cover, right? They can go back to their district and they can say, well... I didn't want to have to vote for Ukraine funding, but it was tied to Israel funding, and we all support our friend Israel, so I had to do it. Or I didn't want to vote for Ukraine funding, but I had to keep the government open to make sure that our hardworking, brave men and women in uniform get their paychecks. It gives them the ability to hide behind all of the spending and say, well, I didn't want to do it, but I had to. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's kind of the inside sausage making. But I mean, you, you basically just broke down entirely correctly but that I, I don't think most people know occurs yeah it's not it's not just a republican or a democratic thing i mean there are plenty of bills an omnibus roadway way bill that are going to pass with a vote of 433 to 2 because no one wants to be in the position of voting against everything that's in the bill which might include farm aid that might include redevelopment of u.s disaster areas like maui so on down the line So, yeah, I mean, uh, a number of moderate Republicans are well known for kind of playing in the pork barrel. And that explains why those guys voted against uh, Jim Jordan. Yeah, But removing uh, the speaker, by the way, was idiotic. Like we all might sympathize with funny guys on the hard right, but like they didn't have a plan. It was like dog catches car. So (laughs) they, they removed McCarthy. And the idea was that Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan would take the job. But Scalise didn't want the job. I mean, he was pressured to sit through a couple votes on it. And Jim Jordan is is not popular with the the moderate GOP caucus. I mean, he's a he's a Trump guy. So the idea that they would do this without having someone lined up, without having say Jordan say yes in a back room first, is is just ridiculous. Now you're going with the interim speaker instead of any of those three perfectly solid Republican guys. Well, you know, I'm perfectly happy to see Kevin McCarthy go because I think Kevin McCarthy is part of the problem. Putting Ukraine funding into the continuing resolution was, I think, what ultimately undid him. Um, but at this point, I mean, you can blame the eight guys who went against McCarthy or you can at this point blame the 25 guys who refused to go with Jim Jordan. 
And 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 I, I think that, you know, the reason why they're not going to go for Jim Jordan is exactly what you and I just talked about. It's because they want the cover that these omnibus bills provide them. It's like, you know what, like Senator Rand Paul is a great example of this. I mean, he has no problem coming out and getting blasted for his vote to vote no on humanitarian aid for something because he'll say it was packed in an omnibus bill. Tom Massey will do that, you know, congressman from Kentucky. But for most of them. These things become campaign killers. You know, someone will, will run a mail piece that says so and so voted against giving children milk, and it'll be a little mm-hmm. asterisk, and it'll say, you know, an omnibus bill and whatever. And you, it, the person probably didn't even know it was in there, but that's the problem, and that is why you're right. Most of the time, they pass by with very few exceptions because something in there is a political campaign killer that will be used against them if they vote no. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like the ad in uh, the old movie Head of State starring Chris Rock, where the uh, the Caucasian guy Rock is running against runs an ad, my opponent, he's for cancer. And it's a <laughs> list of all these, like, health care giant bills that the guy had opposed in a more local political role. So, yeah, I mean, people do stuff like that. Like, uh, the classic one is voted against the Violence Against Women Act. The Violence Against Women Act has a really provocative name, but in fact makes all kind of minor domestic violence, grabbing your wife, slapping your husband, a felony crime. Uh, And people who oppose that put themselves in the position of opposing what's now something like a 90-page bill with a name that's going to get you thrown out of office. So, yeah, those are decisions you have to make individually as a representative. But the majority of representatives make the decision, uh, I want to stay employed. So that that's unfortunate, maybe a little immoral, but uh, very much the reality, I would say. And the the thing also, like with Getz and all Matt Gates and all these guys, you do have to understand. Like you're, I mean, you're a big boy, you're a congressman. You know, you have to understand what the impact of what you're doing is going to be. Like this, this is the whole idea of the lesser evil. Like, of course, the idea that Jim Jordan might make a better speaker than Kevin McCarthy, like he's more charismatic, he's more to the right. Yeah, sure. But the question is, is Jim Jordan going to get by the 20 guys who apparently told you before you did that, that they're not going to vote for him? So if you just say, what the hell, we're going to do this anyway, you know, Leroy Jenkins, you run the risk of Hakeem Jeffries being the speaker of the house. So you have to be aware of both ways the dice can roll on the table kind of in that situation. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, at this point, it's looking more and more like uh, we're going to have a, a chance to have Byron Donalds be speaker. I don't think he's going to get the votes either because, again, it's the same problem where he's a real conservative and they're not, they're not going to go with him. Um, but it would be nice to see him. Let's switch gears for a moment to a guy that I is one of my absolute heroes, one of your absolute heroes, too. And you wrote this piece at National Review, Why Thomas Sowell Matters. And I love the line that you say here, which is Thomas Sowell is the only living human I care about meeting before he dies. Before I, I talk to you about this piece i just want to mention i often say this a lot whenever i hear the left screaming about book bans because there's no such thing in america as a book ban no books are banned and and these are choices that schools make about which authors to put into their school library or to add to their curriculum i often ask the question do you have thomas soul in your school library if not why are you banning thomas soul and I'll say the same thing about Wilford Riley, by the way. Why, why don't you have Wilford Riley's books in your, in, in your school library? Why are you banning Wilford Riley? 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, no one should ban Wilfred Riley. They should uh, Google that name, Wilfred Riley, and go out and buy all of my books, which are great. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, so there, there are two levels to this. I mean, like, uh, Charles and I did a podcast recently with Moms for Liberty, and I'm actually a little to the left of them when it comes to which books to keep in the school libraries. But we were asking them, like, what books are you fighting against? And there were a couple war books that were on the fence, but, like, most of them were things like, you know, no offense to the audience, but one was called Hid, a young girl guide to oral pleasure uh if i have that name correct another one was gender queer which is a a graphic novel depicting kids having sex in a variety of ways and across these different gender combinations i'm not sure how that's legal actually if they have you know realistic looking pictures and but whatever i'm not in that field of law but right. just so on down the line it was not that we're trying to get books out of the library we're not banning to kill a mockingbird we think this stuff is porn so that that's one element of this but also the second element is that, yeah, um, libra- head librarians decide what books their library is going to carry. And there are about 20,000 new titles released every year. So no library carries even the majority of books. That's the whole point of the Library of Congress and the Internet Archive. Like, they actually, they do have them all. But, I mean, when you look at the books that are the most rejected by prominent libraries, it's stuff like uh, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier which is a book about uh, transgenderism and kids. You know, Tom Soule, he's in a lot of libraries. He's not in a lot of libraries. And because he's easily one of the 10 or so most prominent social scientists, that, that's really weird. Uh, my own books, I found, weren't in most of the libraries around me, which I thought was pretty funny. I did, like, interlibrary loan to check. And apparently there was, like, a backlist of people asking for them, but they'd been rejected by about half the libraries. So that that kind of stuff goes on all the time. And librarians are not a right-leaning, you know, bro-dominated profession. <laughs> right. Uh, why do you want to meet Thomas so, so badly? Why, why is he so important to all of us? Well, Thomas Sowell, I mean, I, I, first of all, I, I obviously would like to meet Thomas Sowell. I wasn't kidding with that line. Um I think that Thomas Sowell inspired an entire generation of not just black, but kind of urban, multi-ethnic people on the right, because he was sort of the alternative. I mean, if you go to government school in the USA and then you go to state college or whatever, Rutgers or U of I or any of the big schools that, that people attend, you are very, very likely to hear one storyline almost all of the time, um, kind of center-left, feminist, socialism presented in a positive light. You know, I read the Communist Manifesto five times in college. Like, the first time I thought it was kind of revolutionary, and the second class it was okay. And then you wonder why they keep giving this to you. So when you go looking for something else, there are a bunch of people that people read the first time. I mean, there's Hayek, The Road to Serfdom. I mean, there might be some of the libertarians, Mises, but the big guy, like American conservative authors, like still the number two result is, is Tom Sowell. And, and, you know, it, it, mat- it was also a plus to me that he was a black guy, but that doesn't necessarily matter. Like he wrote The Vision of the Anointed, A Conflict of Visions. He gave many, many people almost a framework for looking at the world from kind of an economic rather than a sociological perspective. And I think that's really valuable. It's probably saved some lives and made billions of dollars over the years for the country and the people in it.
I, I'm, I agree, by the way, and, and he's the reason actually why I'm a conservative, because back many, many years ago at the University of Maryland, I had a buddy of mine who was a professor who said, you should really read Thomas Sowell's books. And it was and the, what, what prompted that was there was a thing on campus that said, you know, the University of Maryland, um, multicultural night or multiculturalism, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, my buddy who was a professor had a problem with that. And I said, well, what's well, what, what's the issue? And why why can't we celebrate all these different cultures? You know, this standard different you know nonsense that you're spoon-fed and he said because we're, we're constantly pointing out what's so different about all of us and not what unites us and all the greatness of this and this this creates victimhood and everything and he said go read thomas soul and i did and it opened my eyes and i think that people who go through that revelation of reading thomas soul's books often turn around and say you know what uh i was just told a lot of crap all these years in school i was taught a lot of things that are just not true maybe lies my liberal Professor told me, for example, the tie into your upcoming book. But I think I think his his ability to articulate these points is 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 so incredibly crucial. And I and to the point about him being black, I think that that matters. It really does. And here's the reason why: he's never going to be asked to go on MSNBC to talk about the effect of policy on the black community. It will always be mm-hmm. Al Sharpton. It will always be you know one of the other race huck, uh, husters out there. Huck, what's the word? I'm looking for hustlers yes race hustlers out there yeah it's never going to be dr thomas soul they're not going to have him on msnbc to give the opinion on 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 the the state of black america for example yeah so i i think that there there are two things there that really stand out about soul one is that everything tom soul says is empirical it's it's factually based so i mean and this this ties into his writing on race i mean and so yeah so one of Sowell's major points, for example, is that just discovering that racism exists doesn't mean that you can blame racism as the cause of any particular gap between groups. So, I mean, in one of his books, The Vision of the Anointed, Soul actually breaks down how racism exists, like what a list experiment is and so on. Now, this isn't more than two pages. You know, it gives the other side their argument, then he makes a better one. But he also points out that when you look at black Americans, I mean, I think I said this on the show once, but the modal average age for a black guy is 27. Uh, for a white guy, it's 58. Black people, 50% of the black community lives in the South, where wages are lower. It's about 14% for whites. That's also very high for Hispanics, by the way. Hispanics under-earn blacks. So, I mean, there, there's a difference in test scores. I don't, I don't think that's genetic, but the average black SAT is still a bit under 1,000. Whites are at almost 1,100. So you've got all these differences, and until you adjust for those differences between people, you don't really have any explanation at all why the black income is lower or the black crime rate's a little higher. I mean, you're going to commit more crimes at 20 than at 50. So it's, it's just such a clear and obvious point that he makes with these actual mathematical models. He's an economist, and one that's, that's stuck with me over the years. And I think that ties into your second point, which is why Seoul would never be asked to comment on the state of black America. And that's because his commentary would totally destroy what's become kind of the mainstream narrative. So the mainstream argument is that racism is everywhere. Well, how do we know that? It doesn't seem likely. 27% of kids are mixed. Not the last couple of years. But the answer is, well, because there are differences in performance between black and white people. And Seoul would sort of say, well, here's why that is. And just like Appalachians and some other groups, black people kind of need to step it up. And that would, that would be it. That's the conversation. The conversation can't be had. 
<laughs> I, I mean, mean so, that's, that's pretty yeah, much it. No, I, you're right. I mean, it's so, it's so simple. And uh, because there, there's an entire argument that says no matter if black people try to step up, they can't because the society is set up in such a way that purposely keeps them down. I mean, that's what people like uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones and, and these other people that, that they push all the time is that is that narrative. Well, they can try to step up, but the inherent white supremacist system that this country was built on will never allow them to step up because the country fundamentally has to be torn down and rebuilt uh given that premise yeah but i mean it's this is again the thing about the economist versus the sociologist like it it just seems fundamentally obvious that's not true i mean the usa desegregated in 1954 and chicago and philly were integrated 30 40 years before that that was that was the deep south we passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964, so being racist in most situations is illegal, if mildly. I mean, your golf club can't discriminate against women or any group. Restaurants serve everyone. Jobs take all applications, so on down the line. And then beyond that, since 1967, we've had pro-minority affirmative action in place. Like, we just pulled that back a little bit when it comes to the colleges, but that definitely still exists in prep schools. It exists in all Fortune 1000 jobs exist in the firehouse police department. So this isn't even something that's debated. And partly because of those two things, I mean, when you look around the country, the best educated group is Nigerians. The richest group is Asians. So when someone says, well, black people can't succeed because of racism, I mean, it's a perfectly valid comeback to say, well, why are black Africans the most, one of the most successful groups in the country? And there, there's no way to answer that from kind of the Ibram Kendi perspective. Their actual answer, by the way, is they're perceived as white. <laughs> so i mean this, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not it's funny but I'm, I'm actually not kidding like i said this during a recent debate um you know how would you explain the success of japanese indian and nigerian americans and the other guy said well they're white adjacent and that, like i and a bunch of people in the room just started laughing because like those are the other three civilized cultures it's like asia india and west africa like no they're not no one looks at like a 6'6 nigerian guy and thinks he's white but if you have to believe this, if your entire ideology is based on this nonsense, that's that's what you're going to go with. Yeah, no, it's true. It's just it's just funny to me. Like I, I busted out laughing in probably the same way that you busted out laughing. And, yeah. and, and what, what what was the what was the term that you used? I'd never heard that term before that that they threw out. White adjacent. So the argument <laughs> is that Asians are like this is most often used as Asian. That's why I always throw in uh, Nigerians and Indians because. Nigerians, and in fact, Drabin Indians also are basically black. I mean, they have skin that's substantially darker than mine. Nigerians are from Africa. But with Asian Americans, people will go through this whole convoluted thing, like, well, they have light skin, they have very high IQs, they're seen as being like white people. But even if you accept that, it would make sense that since black people make 85% of what whites do, Asians would then make 90% of what whites do. But Asians actually make like 160% of what whites do. So there, there's no logical argument that being seen as almost white would let you outperform whites and black. It's just it, it's people playing cards as best they can with a really weak hand. I think that's that's a good way to put it. Like there's no logical way, serious way to defend this stuff. And, and and no, there isn't. By the way, it, it's 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 so absurdly ridiculous that you you just have to laugh about it. I mean, I, I, I'm going to play a clip a little bit later in the show of um, the woman who wrote the book White Fragility is arguing mm-hmm. that the movie Frozen 
which is one of my daughter's favorite movies, I think every little girl loves Frozen, is actually uh, subliminally teaching kids as young as three that blonde hair and blue eyes is what America should should strive for and that kids as young as three years old can see the, the subtle racism there and that the message is, hey, you, you are better off being a, a kid who's white with blonde hair and blue eyes. And even though there's another character in the show, uh, you know, who, who's not, doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes, but that you know that's irrelevant. I mean, obviously to her argument, and the idea that three-year-olds and that Disney, you know, the, the woke Disney is is actually putting out propaganda pieces now that are trying to um, make young kids aware of the fact that that white white is supreme, white supremacy shall reign is so ludicrous in its face. But you know, as she sits there saying this to the guy who's hosting the podcast, he's just nodding along, going uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, and agreeing with all of this. It, 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 it's beyond stupid. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the point. Like, a lot of these people, um, you know, Ibram Kendi has talked publicly. I'm not busting him out here about having a 1020 SAT score. I mean, other people like Nicole Hannah-Jones and, in fact, Robin D'Angelo, who's from, like, a working-class ethnic Caucasian background, have mentioned, you know, not testing well, this kind of thing. Like, one hypothetical explanation for that is that they're just not all that brilliant. And so you do get these these objectively kind of dumb arguments. I'm being as polite as possible. But, yeah, like, so the argument about Frozen, I actually saw part of this, was that, like, the color palette is very pale and white, and they, they have mostly white characters. But that's because it's a movie about snow, like in a northern European country. Like, there, there's no way to avoid that. The characters couldn't all be black and living in the tropics because the name is Frozen. So it's it's just this almost incoherent nonsense but it's said in this sort of jargony academic way by the way like if you really want to do like a tom soul kind of counter to that the response would be well that's an extreme outlier like if you take all of the disney movies during the woke era something crazy like 90 percent of them feature minority princesses from mulan to moana to whatever the new one is like they're granting wishes or something so the way you do woke stuff is to take outlier examples that seem to support what you're saying. Like, here's a movie with a white princess. This is white supremacy. And the response is just to say, okay, well, here are 14 movies with minority princesses. What is that? And then yeah. they'll just Im- immediately shut down and accuse you of denying their lived experience and so on. It's, it's really annoying. I think I, think I, th- I saw the preview for a new Disney movie, and, and of course the villain is a white guy, and the, yep. the hero, the princess, is a is a is a, a brown skinned girl. And I, I'm sure that that is. If I brought that up to Nicole Hannah Jones or uh, Robin DeAngelis, they would just go, "Well, you see, you're 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 missing the point, or or, or something, or you know, they would just uh, scream about it." But and then that's actually the movie the... I was referring to, by the way. It's it's like the start of the movie, and a lot of this is this is psyop level stuff. Like the start of the movie is that all these people are living in this majority white kingdom that they think is happy, and the king is this tall, buff brunette guy who can grant wishes. But the beautiful brown girl realizes that he doesn't grant everybody's wish, <laughs> so she like sets the wishes free and starts giving people everything they want. It's like this crazy communist parable. Like it, I, I actually watched the promo for it. It was it was not subtle. No, it was it never really is. Uh, well, listen, buddy, thank you for your time. I can't wait for the book to come out officially. It is Lies My Liberal Teacher Told Me. It's available for pre-order now. Pre-order it at Amazon.com or a bookstore of your choice. Dr. Wilford Riley, have a great weekend, pal. You too. 
5 o'clock happy hour is brought to you by the Oceanfront Grand Hotel of Cape May. Save 15% on midweek stays, Sunday through Thursday, now till December 31st. Just mention the promo code Zioli at GrandHotelGameMay.com. All right, Henry, do me a favor. Just ring the bell for good luck for me, if you would, please. There we go. As we get ready for the fills tonight. Uh, they are on the road, of course, playing the D-Bags. So we will... D-Bags, excuse me. I had a... <laughs> thing in my throat again the deep the d-bag so we will not be able to do a um, a preview a pre-show with uh, the boys but uh, hopefully the next time we do that is the world series because uh, well no i guess it will have to be back in philadelphia if they even if they win tonight they're coming back to philly right no it's so the the next two games are still in arizona oh there's still there's still two more games in arizona it, it, so the, yeah the series breaks down two you know here three there and then two back here if needed so we can we we can if we beat the D bags tonight we can beat the D bags again on Monday and we're good to go. Correct. Good. Or it'd be on a sat- Saturday, I think. It's whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully right. we don't we don't come back here to play a game until it's the World Series. That's right. That's that's exactly that's the point I was making. Yeah. And and uh, and obviously the Eagles this weekend they're playing the and it's, it's going to be a good game. The Dolphins on Sunday <laughs> yeah. Night Football. That's a what big I, game. I just said. Dolphins. Two, it could be a Super Bowl preview. It's going to be a very very good game. I well, think. Hopefully we'll step the hell up since it's not the Jets. Uh, I would hope so. I don't have a great outlook for that game. Really. No, I. The way the secondary is banged up right now, that doesn't give me a lot of hope with that speed that those dolphin receivers have, and frankly, I feel like they're going to get gashed in the trenches and just going to get ran all over. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, the Eagles' run defense is good. It's but, Tyreek Hill that makes me nervous. But those those dolphins' backs are so fast. Yeah, that's they, true. Like, but I don't know. The Eagles have been good against the run all season. I don't. I don't they're, think they're, they're going to have to be. They're Plus, gonna have to it's going to be a shootout for sure. The over under, I think, is. Yeah, I, I'm not. Something. I'm not worried about the Eagles' offense. It's more the defense. And DeSantis, stop pretending like you know what the hell you're talking about when it comes to sports, please. The only sport I know is football. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. He's good with football. Anything right, else, I'm enough. worthless. And a little bit of basketball, but not. Oh, and you also like polo because you went to Harvard. (laughs) Stop pretending like you don't, you know. (laughs) Don't know polo. (laughs) I'm not learning polo. Uh, All right, listen, the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey, we'd love to see you there for our next live show, which is going to be on Friday, December 15th. And we're going to have a blast. It's going to be great. So join us for that. And now's your chance to make your midweek stays and save some serious cash. When you use my name, Zeoli, Z-E-O-L-I, when you book at GrandHotelCapeMay.com. Always book direct with them for the best rates. You use my name, Zioli, get 15% off the midweek stay. You'll get to enjoy the beautiful indoor heated pool, the game room for the kids, Hemingway's Restaurant right on site. Chef David Mills cooks incredible food, fresh steaks, fresh seafood, and an incredible selection of bourbon, by the way, if you're a bourbon guy, and wine, too. Handcrafted cocktails, it's all there. And Cape May this time of year is is a really fun place to go. The weather's great. Crowds are gone, and there's so much to do, including strolling down the beautiful outdoor promenade at the Washington Street Mall. A lot of fun. Miniature golf, ice cream for the kids, breweries, wineries. It's all there for you in Cape May, New Jersey. And the Grand Hotel of Cape May with their beautiful rooms, suites, and townhomes is exactly where you want to be. So make your reservation today at my happy place, GrandHotelCapeMay.com, promo code Zioli. And we'll see you there for our next live show, December 15th. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All right, before I turn it over to me... That's right, I'm filling in for the great one, Mark Levin, tonight. Starting at 6 p.m., we'll be taking his first hour live right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. So make sure you uh, join us for that. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to share this with you. The um, Trust the Science crowd, as our buddy Cat Turd on Twitter puts it, the Trust the Science crowd is looking more and more foolish by the day. Uh, Health Canada has confirmed the presence of simian virus 40, it's a DNA sequence in the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, which the manufacturer had not previously disclosed. The poliomerivirus simian virus 40, an oncogenic DNA virus, was previously removed from the polio vaccines due to concerns about a link to cancers. Dr. Jancy Lindsay, the director of toxicology and molecular biology for toxicology support services, said plasmid DNA sequences such as the SV40 enhancer could be oncogenic and contribute to causing cancers. They hid them. So it's not just the fact that they're there. It's the fact that they were purposely hidden from the regulators. And the Epoch Times has a whole piece on this about Health Canada confirming undisclosed presence of DNA sequence in the Pfizer shot. I, I guess the, the, the point of this is to say that whether it is COVID vaccines, whether it is the COVID origin, whether it is climate change, we are constantly screamed about, about trusting the science and we better trust the science because if not, we are a bunch of rubes. We are a bunch of rubes who are just incapable of coming out and saying, uh, of, of thinking for ourselves and thinking on our own. Here is uh, Justin Trudeau, no relation, of course, to Fidel Castro, making absurd claims, allegedly, making absurd claims. Uh, take a listen. You turn around and say, hey, we found the perfect type of windmill or the perfect type of, of solar panel that's going to solve Barbados's energy needs. Yeah, you know, you're going to be like, great, perfect. That's what we want. Although you are doing amazing things on sol solar panels. I heard just wonderful things in terms of the, the, the amounts you're doing. That's what global carbon pricing is all about. That's about making sure that everyone is taking responsibility for the pollution they're contributing to the atmosphere. Uh, that's why carbon pricing is so powerful. Uh, but it also, and it will continue to be, uh, a debate. Um, because even though it's a powerful way of changing uh, the trajectory, um, it's also a very visible way of doing it. And Right now, everything seems very expensive, and that's why we're having continued debates around carbon pricing. 
can turn around and say, hey, we found... Yeah, they were having continued debates about carbon pricing because the, the science on this is nonsense. There's nothing harmful about carbon dioxide. Nothing. We breathe it out. I'm exhaling it right now. All this is about is for you lefty nutbags, people like... Justin Trudeau, people like Fidel Castro, Mao. I mean, these are long history of this, of these people who want to control us and just find new ways to make money off of us. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Carbon pricing. You think China's on board with this, this nonsense? You think you're sitting around and China's going to turn around and go, oh, yeah, carbon pricing? Oh, yeah, let's get behind that. We're all in on that. Let's do it. Carbon pricing. Yeah, sign us up for that, please. Give me a break. You're not doing that. You know that, and I know that. But it, 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 don't believe in a word on the climate change crap. Whenever you hear them talk about this, they uh, just know that it's about control. And I'll tell you what, Rob Schneider, who is a very, very funny guy, Rob Schneider was on Adam Carolla, and he asked a very important question. And the very important question is, what, what, are, the, what are the repercussions for all the people that locked us down, all the people that locked us down and, and, and did all these things, you know, what what happens to them? He said, he said, I have more people that would listen to us when we were getting into it very hot and heavy the last couple of years. I would I would pull over on the side of the road. We were driving into it. Uh, somewhere we would get into a conversation and people were so grateful that we were talking about this and I think and I think where are the apologies? Where are the repercussions for the a-holes that locked us down and the teachers' unions? Do they just get away with everything? This is what tyranny is. It's when people in power do horrible things and they don't have any consequences for their actions. He's exactly right. He's 100% right for that. And there will never be repercussions for their actions because they want to do it again. They want to do it again to us. They want to lock us down again if they have the opportunity to do so. I mean... Why do you why do you think constantly our children are being brainwashed in school to 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 follow the orders of the intelligentsia and to understand what power is all about, what true power is all about? Now, <clears throat> the other day, uh, there was this actress named Robin D'Angelo, who is the author of this movie of this white fragility. OK, it's it's it, white fragility is the uh, is, is the book, not not a movie. And she was going on about the movie Frozen, which is a movie that most kids love. Most little girls love the movie Frozen. Elsa and everything. So Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility, who's a fraud. She's a total fraud, this woman. She suggests that the movie is actually promoting racism. Now, you'd have to be an absolute idiot to think that. Because I'll tell you one thing, and that is that I know that my daughters love it. They love it. They think Frozen is hysterical. They think Frozen is cute. They think Frozen is is fun. And if you're really going to think about um, what somebody like this says, you have to understand some of the uh, criticisms of her work. Like John McWhorter at The Atlantic put a great piece together. He said, the D humanizing condescension of white fragility the popular book aims to combat racism but talks down to black people because a lot of people like robin d'angelo that's what they are they are people who are uh they think they're better than you a sociologist examines the white fragility that pre- uh, prevents white Americans from confronting racism. You know what this is about? This is about catering to the same crowd. And this is what I talked to Dr. Wolf Riley about. Catering to the same crowd where you pay 500 bucks to have people scream at you about your racism. This is a little bit of what she said about the movie Frozen. Take a listen to this here. The challenge is this idea that children are innocent. 
I mean, certainly born innocent, but research shows that by age three, as early as age three, they mm. understand that it's better to be white. Wow. So let me be clear. Not that white people are better, but that it's just better to be white. Mm. And let me give you an example of uh, Frozen, the movie Frozen. Yes. It's huge, this movie, right? Mm. I, I've seen little girls all over the world with the backpacks and I mean, you can't watch that movie and not know that the ideal is white, blue eyes, blonde hair, red hair. That's just one example. And you can have maybe a frog that turns into a princess for a minute and goes back to a frog and she's a brown girl. But that doesn't that's the exception, not the rule. So don't be naive about what they're what they're internalizing and how early. Um, And let's think about this now for a moment. Evil Disney. With their evil strategic plot, one of the wokest companies in the world, this is a movie, the company behind Frozen, they're trying to promote the idea that white is better. And little girls all over have backpacks on with the characters, even though one of the girls in in the movie has blonde hair and blue eyes, and the other one doesn't. The other one doesn't. So, the, you know, it's funny because if you actually took the time to break this stuff down, you'd go, wait a second, well, there's Elsa and Anna. And Anna doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. Elsa does. So what's that about? But you see, it's about nonsense is what it's about. It's about them trying to find racism everywhere they look. And this idea that that, that there is this structural hierarchy of white racism that is around everywhere, white supremacy, and it's trying to interject itself like a virus into everything. That's what people like this woman believe. And she's a total freaking fraud. She's a total fraud. And all you got to do is just Google the characters of Frozen and see, oh, so they're not all just blonde girls with uh, with blonde hair and, and, and blue eyes? Really? And, you know, I have two daughters. One of them has blonde hair and blue eyes, and the other one doesn't. And the one who doesn't, Claire, with her dark hair and dark eyes, beautiful, my daughters, gorgeous, loves the movie Frozen and has never at one point said to me, looked up at me and said, Dad, am I white enough I don't feel white enough watching this movie. It's so stupid. Let's keep playing here. Also, don't don't be naive that you can just lecture them. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you shouldn't. And then that's fine. What is your life like? You know, the idea of on the airplane, put your oxygen mask on and then turn towards the more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So do you have an integrated life? You're, you're telling your children everybody's equal, but you have never had a person of color at your dinner table. That's a, the practice of our lives is so much more powerful than the. I got a question for you. How many, how many people, if, if you're judged by, by who's coming to dinner, that's what we're dealing with now. You're, you're judged by who's coming to dinner at your house. That's it. That's the standard. How many um, Israeli Jews have you had to your house recently, Robin D'Angelo? I'm just, I'm just out of, out of curiosity. How many, how many Israeli Jews have you had at your house since you're on the, uh, on, on team, you know, Palestine is the oppressed, poor victims, and Hamas are the, are the good guys trying to free them. And how many people, how many Jews have you had over? Just uh, again, just ask, asking for a friend here. The, the frauds of these people, absolutely, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is another fraud. You want to know why she she voted against Iron Dome funding? Um, this is why she voted against Iron Dome funding, which is to used to protect Israel from, of course, these savage attacks by these these brutal, brutal terrorists. Here we go. A couple of years ago, there was a vote in Congress 
for funding for the Iron Dome. Mm-hmm. And you very publicly were torn, even emotional about your vote, which ultimately was present. Mm-hmm. You put out a statement saying that you opposed Iron Dome funding. I, I wonder, given everything that we've seen in this last week, the Iron Dome has essentially intercepted thousands mm-hmm. of rockets mm-hmm. from Hamas. Do you believe now that that funding is essential, would you vote for it today? And and to be clear, at that time, I had voted present on the Iron Dome funding because what we had because of what we had seen previously that year in terms of Netanyahu's decisions, which also resulted in the bombing of several um, buildings that contained media agencies, civilian targets. However, I do think that in this present moment, when we discuss support for Israeli defense systems, that is absolutely legitimate. I think it, it is absolutely something that whose support we can we so, can we. It, so we can you would vote yes today if it came if it came to the United States Congress additional funding for the Iron Dome. I think if it was explicitly around that, I have concerns about oh. white phosphorus. I have concerns about um, about the respect for humanitarian about human rights. Mm, you see, but you notice how they never have respect for money or concern for money as they ask for more and more money. They never have <laughs> any concern about that. So she's a BS artist. She's like, oh, well, I mean, at the time I voted present, but you know, now, nowadays I may vote. Yeah. I mean, it's possible I might, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll vote. Yes. I, I, but I have concerns about things like how will their sugar intake, for example. I mean, what's Israel's sugar intake like these days? Are they, are they, are they having too much sugar? Because we're if they are, we really got to do something about this. Such frauds, these people. They don't. They don't. They don't want Israel to have the ability to defend itself. They're such liars. They're such liars. And I, I have no use for these people that lie. I really don't. I have no use for people that lie constantly, all the time. So that for me is a uh, is is a major major issue. All right, uh, we got a lot more to talk about. We are uh, just getting warmed up here on the show, but I want to remind you that I will be filling in for Mark Levin starting at six p.m. tonight. So stay here live for the show. It's going to be from six p.m. to nine p.m. right here on Talk Radio twelve ten WPHT. We'll take Mark's first hour live, and we'll go right up to nine o'clock together. And there's a lot to get to. Of course, I'd be remiss though if I did not remind you that um, James O'Keefe came out and said a lot of a very very important things about what's going on in school districts in new jersey it still is the number one issue the number one issue that is affecting all of us and that is the school districts and the fight for schools the fight for schools we also have the phillies game of course tonight at eight o'clock so i understand if you need to jump away for a few moments now and perhaps watch the Phillies game. But my suggestion to you is this. My suggestion is you put the game on and turn the volume down because those TV announcers are low energy anyway. And then you listen to me fill in for the great one, Mark Levin. I think that's what you should do. That's my suggestion to you. And, you know, Mark's a a Phillies fan. He grew up around here, so it'll be fine. And Wilford Riley, I thought the conversation earlier today, if you just missed it too, why Thomas Sowell is so important. And, you know, he nailed it when he said he's the only living human I care about meeting before he dies. I I could not agree with that more. But it's funny, as the school battle is heating up and the nonsense from the left about book bans continues, I asked a question recently. And the question was this. Do you have Dr. Thomas Sowell's books in your classroom? 
What do you think the answer was to that? Hmm? What do you think the answer is to the question of do they have Dr. Thomas Sowell's books in their classrooms? I know. I know. It's just it's just that. But instead, they'll probably have Taylor Swift's movie. Anyway, I guess the point is uh, don't go see the new uh, woke Taylor Swift movie. I guess would be the point of this. Uh, one other point I want to make before I turn it over to Mark Levin's show, which is my show, which is me doing Mark Levin, which is uh, this entire notion that Biden has used dead Israeli children to justify more funding for Ukraine. And this is what I keep saying to you. You know, I keep saying over and over again, there needs to be up or down votes on these matters. Now, it's a damn shame that Jordan is out as speaker because Jim Jordan would ensure that there are up or down votes on these issues. But now he's out. And it's and it's it's such a shame because linking war in Ukraine and, and Israel is not what needs to happen here. And I think Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, who has really impressed me a lot, um, this is what he had to say last night to Sean Hannity. America doesn't need client states. We need real allies. And if the Europeans aren't going to step up and actually carry their fair share, they're not real allies. They're basically depending on our generosity. And right now, uh, Sean, we just can't afford it. And we can't support the weapons necessary to fight a two or, God forbid, a three front conflict if China invades Taiwan. We know right now, Sean, that there are artillery shells the Israelis need for their operation in Gaza that we have sent to the Ukrainians. Why have we allowed our industrial capacity, Sean, to get to the point where we don't make enough artillery shells to support our friends? And given that reality, why is Joe Biden going on national television and selling people on a Ukrainian escalation when Joe Biden is talking about the terrible tragedy in Israel? Whatever your view, Sean, on, on Ukraine, it is a separate country and a separate problem. I think what the president did is completely disgraceful. If he wants to sell the American people on $60 billion more to Ukraine, he shouldn't use dead Israeli children to do it. It was disgusting. Not only that, but there should not be votes tied together with Israel and Ukraine. And then these things are separate matters, and they deserve separate up or down votes. And this is done because people that want to hide... Their support for funding Ukraine No, it's a lot more politically palatable to vote to support Israel than it is to vote to continue funding Ukraine. So they want to put these things together in a way to give these Republican cowards cover. The same Republican cowards who have now forced Jim Jordan out as speaker nominee. The same cowards. And I, I, I've just I've had it with these people. I really have. I've had it with them. I think that they are the worst. They are the worst. And we continue to do things that make it seem like we just we 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 don't care about what's happening in in the in our own country and this is the frustration that you and i both have we it doesn't seem like what matters in our country matters to the people that we elected even i mean even my friend dana perino asked a great question why why was biden talking about ukraine so much in a speech about israel it's exactly right. Why? The president's second Oval Office address. Your overall thoughts about him tonight? Well, I think it may be remembered as one of the best, if not the best, speeches of his presidency. Oh, stop. Firm, it was not, unequivocal. Britt. He was strong. Stop. He has been, particularly uh, in recent days when he was, before he went to Israel and while he was over there, I was struck by the fact that he spent as much time as he did on Ukraine. And I think it yeah. was a good thing that he did because the aid no. for Ukraine uh, package that he's talking about and further aid to Ukraine beyond that is in jeopardy. <laughs> and I think that he was hampered a little bit in that effort by the fact that 
that he dare not really mention the best reason. I mean, he mentioned, broadly speaking, the best reason for sticking with it in Ukraine, which is that what would the rest of the world and its evildoers think if we pulled out of there? Because that comes on the heels of his having pulled out of Afghanistan, which arguably emboldened uh, all of the uh, all of our adversaries around the world, uh, particularly Vladimir Putin. Um, he didn't make that. He he can't really make that case, and you wouldn't expect him to. But he made a strong case for it nonetheless. And I think it's I think it's it's important that he did. And also, of course, no, you're right, Brett, to wonder. No, whether, it's not right that he keeps will, linking this to Ukraine. Follow up to his it's not. It, this is Israel Iran. is Israel. No. Ukraine. Is Ukraine? Is Ukraine. I, sorry, Brit Hume. So sorry, Fox in, in News. But no, the answer to that is no. It's not. It, these uh, things should not happened, be combined together. Tonight, there it was. He's so, wrong. Uh, on two important counts, I think he did did remarkably well. No, quite strong. What quite speech strong. did you watch last night, Brit Hume? A lot has been said about the fact that the president prior to this has not made articulated a strong argument for why the United States has to support Ukraine. It's expected he's going to ask for $60 billion, a much bigger amount than was already on the table that Congress has not uh, has not allotted the money for yet. What did you think of the argument he made tonight? Well, I'm a little out of my comfort zone because I almost always agree with Brit Hume. And I almost wish we were sitting next to each other so that I could hold his hand and say, could we watch that together again? Because I actually didn't think it was strong. I prepared all day to love this speech. I prepared to want to stand up and cheer. Thank you, Dana. And at times, I Thank felt you, like Dana. we were reading a speech whose pages had been mixed up out of order. I thought that he didn't spend enough time talking about the atrocities of October 7th. Uh, he, he does obviously have a, bro a, a definite, deep understanding of the pain, and he is definitely against anti-Semitism, both abroad and at home. But he, he rushed that part of the speech so much, and the next thing I know, we're talking about Ukraine, and then we're kind of back to Israel, but then... Wait, wait, are you going to bring it up Taiwan as well? I thought there was going to be something on the southern border. I did not think it was as strong as it could have been, and I wanted it to be strong. Here's what I think I would have done. This. Thank you, Dana. It was not. It was way too much about Ukraine because, again, this is the scam. This is the scam that all these Republicans are doing. All right. Um, uh, let me tell you about my buddy, Tom Skopinich. Great guy. Great friend. He's the guy that will fight for you if you are ever injured in an accident. So I want you to reach out to him today by going to scopelawyer.com. S-C-O-P-E lawyer.com. Scopelawyer.com. The law offices of Thomas G. Skopinich. My buddy, Tom Scope. He'll fight for you on either side of the river. That's right. No matter what side of the river you're on, Pennsylvania or New Jersey, he's licensed in both states. And unlike these these billboard clowns that are always out there that I talk about, the billboard clowns, Tom Skopinich is not one of those guys. He's a guy that's going to make sure that you get what you deserve. First of all, you're going to meet with him. He's going to fight for you, and he's got the expertise. Because prior to starting his own law firm, he used to work for and on behalf of the big insurance companies, which gives him a unique understanding of the strategies and the tactics that they are going to use to fight your case in court. So please don't go with billboard clowns. Go with a guy who has been helping people for 25 years in our region. That's Tom Skopinich. Scopelawyer.com. S-C-O-P-E lawyer.com. Get what you deserve. A fighter who's going to be on your side. A great friend of mine and a guy who's going to go to the mattresses for you, as my people say. That's Tom Skopinich. Scopelawyer.com. 
set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.